Welcome to the More to Black podcast. If you've been looking for an online community of people who have taken the roads less traveled that decided to study an African language or promote the diaspora, then look no further. Join us for bi-weekly episodes as we learn from these inspirational individuals and apply their steps to your life today. I'm your host, Taisha Cole. Let's dive in. Hey, Peter, welcome to the More to Black podcast. Thank you for coming. It is my honor and pleasure, sister. Mm, everyone, welcome to the show today. This is Mr. Peter Brown. He is the CEO and founder of The Ledge Group. The Ledge Group stands for Land for Environmental Development of Group Economics. It is going to be a very special episode because this company is doing so many collaborative things across the continent. I'm very excited to deep dive. But first, uh, Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal story before Ledge was actually created? Who who are you? <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you very much for that introduction. So as was mentioned, my name is Peter Brown. I was born and raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm. My mother was a Black Panther, and my father was a Mau Mau, so my Whoa. path was <laughs> There was no way uh, that this wasn't going to be the direction for my life yeah. when I'm one of uh, six uh, siblings, and before we ever entered school, we were able to speak five languages, including Swahili. So my, my family... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we, we spoke <laughs> Swahili in my house. Um... And so my family, my siblings, were always pretty much oriented towards doing those things for ourselves it, rather than asking someone to do things for us. Um, and, and that really kind of set the, uh, the pattern for my life going forward. So wow. I, I'm at this point 54. Um, I have in my experience... Um, taught at Harvard University uh, to professors. I have um, had extraordinary experiences. My, uh, my own personal history is not very different from that of, uh, that of Africa and many Africans within the diaspora. Many challenges. Um, when I was young, drug abuse and alcohol abuse and mm. self-holding and self-hatred and all of those things, all of the, um, the paths in a maze that would diffuse us as a people. I experienced every one of them. Mm. Um, and at this point, I come through that with uh, a wholeness and a grasp on self, which kind of keeps me kind of humble if I... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe... I mean, I've been like sifting through your social media just because I've been so um, inspired and it's relieving to see that, you know, this work is being carried out by by someone like you instead of us just uh, admiring our ancestors who have passed like Garvey and, and Malcolm X. But I did not know that your, you know, your parents were like from the Mau Mau and Black Panther, that's just, I'm still wrapping my head around that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And what an amazing union. Uh, and I won't go too far off on a tangent, but I mean, yeah. the relationship between my mother and father was 
one of stories. Absolutely amazing. And so, and I won't belabor the issue, but, and, and there's very little information that people are going to be able to find. My father was born in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, mm. and moved to Harlem when he was very young. So um, Little Red, uh, you know, everybody knows Detroit Red. Little Red, yeah, he was well known to uh, everyone in my family. But if, if, if one of the listeners cares to look and, and try to understand, yeah. I would suggest looking up the Mau Mau in Harlem. That is a very, very interesting study. This was not obviously the original Mau Mau, which began in Nieri County in Kenya. Yes, in but Kenya. This was, this was the African-American adaptation to that level of resolve. And wow, what an amazing story that is there. And how, and so how did they, yeah, just touch on this. How did they teach you all five languages just growing up in, you know, in the Eastern part of the United States at that time as well? Yeah. Well, so, you know, if you ask any of my siblings, they'll tell you that they thought my mother was crazy. You know, what is it <laughs> why are we learning Arabic? Like we're not in uh, Saudi Arabia, right? Um, and so from the perspective of my siblings, we thought everybody was like this, right? We thought everybody mm. was being raised in an environment where before we started school, we were reading five books every summer and giving my mother a synopsis. The first word, first time I heard the word synopsis and used it, I was under six years old. Yes. Right? We were writing books, uh, book reports down these mean streets by Peary Thomas, um, mm. Dick Gregory's works. We were reading so much in order to kind of understand the, uh, the focus that our parents had for mm -hmm. us. I, I think really what they were looking to do was ensure that the dream that they had for their children had the best possible opportunity to come true, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's an amazing union. Okay, okay. Okay, and then so tell us more about Ledge, the Land for Environmental Development of Group Economics. That's that's the most powerful piece to me, group economics. Um, where are, no, actually first start off with how did Ledge come about? Okay, absolutely. And it's an interesting story. So what happened was, uh, so I've been, you know, there was a, once upon a time, I was working at Harvard Business School teaching professors how to build out courses using distance learning and like this. And one day it dawned on me, if Harvard Business School allows me to come teach their professors, well, I bet I can teach my own. And so it was that day that I quit and I never went back to Harvard again. So I launched A plus certification courses, network plus certification courses and security plus um, courses for my people for free. And I began to teach people and train people in cybersecurity and in technology. Well, it was wildly successful. It did exactly what I wanted. I've got young men that make more money than me that mm. came to my classes, right? Wow. Uh, wildly successful. And so I've always kind of launched initiatives that, that kind of were designed with a model that said, look, I've got this in my back pocket. If I offer this to my people for free, it brings them further along. So I never charged anybody for these things. I wanted to give it to them for free and I wanted them to give from, give to me their skill set so we could augment each other. 
So mm, mm. from there, I launched a, I, I posted a post one day on Facebook and I said, okay, I've got $20. And so anybody that's got $20 to put with mine, what we'll do is at the end of the month, we'll send that $20 to a single parent of random choosing. Anybody choose whoever it is. We'll send that money to a single parent. Mm -hmm. Well, when I put that up, like 4,000 people all said, yeah, I got 20 bucks too. And so as I stepped back and looked at the amount of capital that was generated through a simple post on Facebook, I said to myself, now, wait a minute. <laughs> if we send this amount of capital to a single parent, this could be a blessing or a curse, right? This could hurt them. And so I looked at the amount that we were able to generate on a single post. And I said to myself, now, wait a minute. Mm. What if we took that same capital and instead of giving it to an individual, certainly it will make a difference in that individual's life. But what if we built a factory? What if we built a factory with no loans and no debt? No, I don't know what we want to do with that factory. We'll build it and we'll decide after. But what if we built a factory somewhere in the world with no loans and no debt? Mm -hmm. And what happens if we grew hemp? Perhaps, right? Hemp produces 50,000 products. What happens if we produced hemp and began to create our own food, clothing, shelter, water, health care, and security through this factory and our efforts? And that was the birth of the Ledge Group. It was from there that we determined that in tandem, we could pool our resources, we could start business models that all begin in the black without any prerequisite need to actually make a single dime. It's owned by us. It was not financed by anybody else. And we've got complete control and say over its direction. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what launched the, Le the Ledge Group. This is like, man, I can't even, this is, this is what's needed. And I just feel like, well, I know for sure most people do not know that these types of models, you know, in our communities already exist. Okay. Tell us where Ledge is actually active right now. So we are active in many different areas. Last year, I visited 10 countries. Uh, one of the countries that I visited was Uganda. We uh, made a connection and produced an executive director. So what we do is we produce proof of concept models. To join the Ledge Group, there's a membership fee. That membership fee is used to buy bottling and filtration equipment or open up a business in Uganda or buy fencing or seed. So the membership fee is the cooperative economics. It's the pooling of funds to expand our capacity. Mm -hmm. So last year, I think in April, I was in Uganda. Um, there is an absolutely amazing blend of coffee that they have in Uganda. I visited Jamaica and tasted the blue mountain coffee and tried to get that imported at a, at a fair rate. Uh, and it was I was unsuccessful in doing so. So Uganda reached out to me and said, you've got to come taste our coffee. Now, what became um, uh, clear to me is that the farmers had very serious challenges. They don't they didn't have uh, farming inputs in the form of boots and various tools. So what the ledge group did was we pooled funds and we sent tools to 250 farmers and their families, wow. as well as boots and the inputs that they needed. So I flew over to Uganda and I sat down and broke bread 
with my brothers and sisters in Uganda. They fed me an amazing meal. And before the meal could even be digested, they brought me to the shamba and made me work it off. <laughs> <laughs> they put in that work. They wasn't oh playing. <laughs> and, and the reason, the logic was, they wanted me to have a understanding relative to what it is that they go to go through in order to produce this fantastic Bugishu coffee. And so we walked to the Shamba and they taught me every step. And I did every step in relation to growing, cultivating, caring for, and preparing coffee. Mm. And they showed me that every seedling goes into a plot that is two feet by two feet by two feet down. And they were doing this by hand. Mm. These are people that are working 10 hours a day on a work product that will not mature and pay them for potentially nine months. Oh right? Gosh, yeah. These are families that are working and attempting, they're looking for a payday that's nine months away and they're working every day. So it was important for me to get there and really understand what it was that was facing these people. And I'm grateful to say that today we import tons of that Bugishu coffee. It is a fantastic relationship. The Farmers Integrated Collective in um, mm. in Saronko, uh, Uganda, I want to shout them out. They're just wonderful people. Yes. Um, it was a wonderful experience. Okay. In addition, we're in Kenya, in Laikipia County. And in Laikipia, this is one of our oldest projects. Uh, and we ran into a lot of challenges there um, in relation to farming. But with those challenges, we were able to win number two in the entire country relative to youth in agriculture and getting them engaged and growing food. So we've got available to us 53,000 acres of land in Laikipia. Mm. Now, anyone what? that knows Laikipia or Kenya at all, if you look at that area, it is almost completely flat land and it has no trees. And to the Virgin Eye, I thought, oh, this is awesome. Well, we planted it out and we ran into seven months of drought, mm. which was just devastating. Absolutely. Not only to the people, but to the livestock and the land. And so we recognized that drought and we pulled our resources and we dug two wells down 230 meters through solid rock and volcanic deposit to hit separate aquifers and provide water to those people, our crops and that community forevermore. Mm. Once we overcame the challenge of the drought, we ran into the challenge of flood where again, because there are no trees, the water has nothing to drink it. And that water sits on that land and it moves and it creates a dangerous condition. Okay. So these are the these are the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that one must overcome if they're going to be successful in agriculture. So mm -hmm. I'm pleased to say in the last year, we built a retaining wall around our grow areas to ensure that the floods would no longer affect our works. So yeah, okay, okay. And so and these are only like two of the country profiles, pretty much Uganda and Kenya. Correct. Correct. Okay. We are also located in, uh, we've got active projects in Nigeria. We've got active projects in Zambia. I was in Ghana 
last November performing free uh, alternative energy workshops for the youth. Um, so we've got active projects in um, Ghana. We have active projects in uh, Tanzania, as well as South Africa. Okay, okay. Tell me or us a little bit more about the project I think I recalled in Zambia where, if I'm correct, some of the members are actually starting to build like their secondary homes purely off of, 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 off of the profits that they have invested as well. Yeah. So our members are able to buy 10 hectares of land in Zambia hmm. uh, through our executive director and his family. Um, and we've become a part of that community. So one of the first things that the Ledge Group does when we sit down to do business with anybody, one of the very first things that I do is before we even start to negotiate, please take this, go home and make sure your family is fed, right? Feed your family first. Now let's come back and let's talk about what we can do together. And so we did this, we created the proof of concept, we cultivated an, uh, an executive director. So the ledge members can buy 10 hectares of land, which is approximately 24.5 acres for about $3,000. That's amazing. Well, and you know, there are similar plots of virgin land in the exact same area that are going for $800,000. Right. And so what we, what happens is that land goes into agricultural production two weeks after it's purchased by way of our members. And the agricultural production fuels itself, right? We're growing tomatoes and watermelons and onions and lettuce and beans and all of these different things. Well, those things go to market. Those things go to local orphanages. Those go to vendors. And it allows the expansion of the agricultural effort on those lands. Mm. The members' titles and deeds are paid for by way of those agricultural efforts. Three years after the member signs and buys their land, three years later, the, uh, the economic effort will build their houses. So I'm very pleased to say that we are somewhere around the two, 2.1 year mark, and we are now uh, breaking ground on 12 of our members' houses. Mm, in the- mm, mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so are, are members able to have meetings with one another? Like either, I, I mean, I know it's COVID-19 right now, but virtually or once they meet up in Zambia, how does that work? Absolutely. So we meet on a very regular interval. Um, we've produced um, social media presence. So we have a ledge group which is for our certified members, right? It is in this space that we deliberate, we determine those different things and projects that we want to involve ourselves in and those things that we don't. And again, the the model is Ubuntu. So everybody has to have voice, right? Mm. Um, It is a mistake to follow the old models that we have been able to learn from. There should be no tip to a spear, because if the tip is broken off, then the integrity of the entire weapon is then impacted. So we have to design models that is far more like a hammer with a wide, flat surface, so that even if a nick should be taken out, that hammer will still strike true. So it can't be about one person, it must be by committee. 
So the entire ledge group has voice in absolutely every single thing we do. So we meet and we speak absolutely daily. We do regular Zoom meetings to keep everybody on the same page mm -hmm. and gain um, interest in various projects and share information. We've had members go over to Zambia and view their land and tour and, uh, and enjoy time there. And we schedule trips as best as possible with group members so we've gone to kenya with a with a group and enjoyed it there um mm. and we've traveled around as as a cohesive unit again we're looking to make a family right yeah. we are a family that has been fractured so we're putting in those uh, elements that again produce that family right mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, that's absolutely beautiful. Are you able, uh, do you like know the numbers? How many members, how many legends are there currently in the family? There are 275 members, oh which God. is quite an amazing thing. Um, when you consider the type of impact that we have had on this earth, and we're just getting warm, um, it is absolutely mind boggling. A few days ago, we deployed a water filtration system and bottling system in the free state of Kwakwa, South Africa. Now, in the free state of Kwakwa, the, so South Africa in general, two years ago, ran out of water, right? Mm, Absolutely okay. no water. It was a big, big, it is a big problem. Some of the choices that are being made, and I encourage anybody listening to go look up impossible choices for water in Kwakwa. Some of the women are reduced to the point where they are potentially selling their bodies to get water. Mm. Right? There's corruption at every level. There are a thousand reasons why this is happening. But at the end of the day, I silence all of those reasons. We turn to our members. We present the issue and we pool and buy the solution to the problem. And so we're doing the installation as we speak, and the water issue associated with those people in the free state of Kwakwa will be no more when we are done. Mm -hmm. So with 275 members, what we've proven is that with unity, with unity with the African in the diaspora and the continental African, we can move mountains. In the diaspora, yeah. Yeah. we've got I'm sorry, in the diaspora, we've got capital and no resource. But on the continent, they've got resource and no capital. And there has been a vested interest by all colonial powers to keep these groups separate. Because if these groups ever came together and the Africans of the diaspora designed a model where they could invest in their brothers and sisters on the continent, suddenly absolutely everything on this planet Earth changes. Yeah, absolutely. These are the stories that do not get amplified and it's intentional. And if our youth, millennials and people of, you know, older generations just knew that this one case study was happening with 275 individuals like really pulling together, again, I mean it's just it's it's a game changer, but these stories are are silenced intentionally. Mm. Yeah, wow. even in this new era where everybody in America is Abe Lincoln and they got this great big come to Jesus movement, right? Mm. Well, even in that era, what they're looking to do is they're looking to subsidize, augment, 
and provide resource to those people who will down the line provide them peripheral benefit so they're not investing in those who are looking to be free they're investing in those who are looking to maintain subservience to them so when they say inclusion it means that they're inviting us to our table but that does nothing to build our own table when they say diversity they're trying to improve their bottom line but never consider our condition and what this means 20 generations into the future for our children Mm-hmm. So we have to be the ones that define what is it that we need and what is it that we need in the long term. Unfortunately, daily bread has been our biggest inhibitor because we have to eat today, because we have to figure out a way to make it into tomorrow. We don't have the space to consider a thousand generations into the future. Mm-hmm. Well, the conditions that we live with today were put in place by men 300 years ago that knew they would never live to see the result of the efforts that they put into place and they did them anyway. We must have 10 times that resolve. We must build for lifetimes into the future and that is how we counteract this condition. Mm -hmm. Long-term planning, man. Oh, okay, I'm I'm processing. I'm processing everything right now. Um, how important do you think it is for our youth to study indigenous African languages over the colonial French, Spanish, you know, Russian, or even Chinese that I think is like constantly shoved down our throats? Yeah. So the um, the truth is, if you should build your house on sand. That sand will settle and shift and eventually give way because it is not a strong foundation. So if we are learning the languages of the colonizer first, if we are learning to express ourselves in the language, if we are learning to think in the language of the colonizer, then our every forward motion is framed by that level of understanding. Mm -hmm. So... It is most important, and again, my parents, I, I pay them homage, my parents recognize that. It is most important for us to understand we ourselves in a unique and autonomous scenario, who we are. See, we're humans. We're people here. And we have a rich history, and we, we come from the first world. They want to call it third world, but we come from the first world. Mm. So that being <laughs> That it makes no sense for us to focus and learn someone else before we learn ourselves. This is what creates our identity crisis throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. So we see them pushing Chinese. We see them pushing English. And the reason being, when you travel across the world, they say that these are the languages of money. Well, it was April 7th, 1792 when the first currency in North America was deployed. But by that time, our people had already been here, had already been bred, had already given them the foundations to produce a currency that they would use to exploit us forevermore. So when we consider this the language of money, when we allow someone else to define wealth for us, and we fail to define it for ourselves, we are in a trap that we can very 
rarely get out of. Our value system is owned. So when you speak language, it speaks directly to the value system. Mm -hmm. When we speak these kinds of things that are outside of our foundation, it necessarily creates that house on the sand that will shift and change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people who, you know, are not pan-Africanist or black nationalist or true allies, you know, so to speak, they, they really question and don't understand when I'm very adamant about, uh, my own daughter, who's almost two years old, uh, first learning an African language outside of, or, 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 you know, outside of like what she's already being forced to learn, which is a colonial language, you know, of English. And, everyone, you know, around may say like, oh, but the Spanish and French is going to be useful. Or they even try to justify it and say, but, you know, the West Africans, they speak French or, uh, you know, us in South America, the, the Black Brazilians, they speak Portuguese. But even with your 275 members and growing, you know, that family, I'm sure when they visit the continent, they get more respect from local continental Africans when there's an effort made to speak their indigenous local languages over something that they all were also forced to learn through colonialism as well. It just builds better bonds and it's going to create better business relationships in the long run, you know? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And furthermore, <clears throat> if we believe in anything, and it, it doesn't matter what the belief system is. There is a perfect principle in every belief system. It has a good and bad. It has a good and evil. It has a right and wrong. And if we believe any of those things, then we must believe that the method by which these colonial powers have come into power was abhorrently wrong. You cannot read your way to prosperity. You cannot, uh, you cannot embrace apathy and disconnection and hatred and think that you will prosper into the future. So I say this to say mm -hmm. that the Russian model, the Chinese model, the French model, the U.S. model are all based on exploitation and they have a sunset. They have an expiration date. They mm -hmm. will not persist forever. They can't. It's unscalable. They can't. And so the word sankofa, which is to go back and snatch in order to go forward, is truly the only forward direction. So we absolutely have to go back. We have to speak our languages. We have to embrace our brothers. We have to reject what is being forced on us, which is non-nutritious, and define those things that provide nutrition for us into the future. Yes. Yeah. You know, America is ranked as the the most obese uh, nation on the planet. And I think a lot of people, they are really taken aback, you know, even just with my own personal story of when I was in Kenya and Tanzania for a few years, um, the diet is so different. It's so natural that when you come back home, you oftentimes get sick. You know, that's why continental Africans, yes, or even outside of the continent, when they visit and study here, they get sick from the food. Um, and they're not, their systems are not used to it. Also, their teeth are pearly white because 
there's like barely any, you know, sugar and artificial X, Y, Z in their foods. My friends would smile. I was like, yo, when was the last time you've been to the dentist? They're like, these particular friends, they're like, you know, we don't really go to the dentist unless there's something actually wrong. Like, this is just my pearly white teeth. <laughs> and yeah, I was almost embarrassed to smile because I'm like, are, are my teeth this yellow? I didn't notice. I mean, I go to the dentist, but I really didn't notice until I was amongst those individuals, you know? My goodness, they have the most beautiful smiles in the world. And I know I when I first got there, they were like, why is this man looking at us like this? <laughs> 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 Their teeth are absolutely perfect. And you hit it right Pearl. on the head. Mm -hmm. When I got there, it was about maybe five or six days after I got to Kenya the first time. And it was, it was only after that five, six days where I stepped back and I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. My digestive tract is better than it has ever been. Mm. I feel mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually better than I ever have in my life. Mm -hmm. I consciously thought this and said it to myself. I'd never felt so better, so much better. And that was because our food was coming directly from the garden. Our food was completely fresh. It was not famine crops. It was not GMO food. It was not processed and in a box and quickly prepared. It was real food. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely magical. And again, I will um, affirm your point. When I left Kenya, I believe it was on the plane leaving Africa that I tasted something else and immediately my system rejected it. As soon as I got back on that plane, my body said, oh, wow, we're, we're going in the wrong direction, aren't mm -hmm, we? <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. Mm, okay. And so I know you have to apply to actually become a, a legend. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the application process itself for listeners who, who may want to try to get involved? Because I know I certainly am. Absolutely. So the launch pad would be a group on Facebook called Grand Rising, right? That's not plural. That's Grand Rising. What will happen there is you will request entry. There are three questions that must be answered, right? They must be answered. You must have a profile picture. Why? Because that request is going to begin a security process where our teams are going to go through your history. They're going to look at who you are, what you believe. At the end of the day, acceptance into that area means acceptance into our family. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful as it relates to who it is that we bring in. Right. Mm -hmm. So the grand rising is the launch pad. You start there. Our security teams will go through their works. And then, if appropriate, they will allow you access to the grand risings page. Once inside, I encourage you to look at the description. The, the room has been opened since the idea began. So you can scroll down and you can see everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything that has happened. I encourage you then to look in the file section. In the file section, you will find the non-disclosure agreement and the pledge of commitment. And what this does is it illustrates exactly what we do, who we are, how we do, and how you're involved in that. Once someone has sent their membership fee, their pledge of commitment letter, and the non-disclosure agreement, 
they are now a certified member. But there's a lot between here and there mm -hmm. because I encourage every single person to scrutinize, to ask every question. Don't just ask our friends, ask our enemies and listen to what they say about us. I encourage every single listener to never join anything if you do not understand and agree 100% with what that organization is doing. So I encourage you to do the research, look us up, find out who we are, look at where we are, listen to the people, and then when you have no questions relative to who we are and what we do, you are welcome to join us. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, you know, I this is one of my favorite episodes because it just, like I said, reassures me that, you know, if and when I pass, hopefully after my daughter grows up, but if it happens before she grows up, you know, she has this true living, real village of people around the world who understand what it's what it's about you know who understands that we need to love ourselves to protect ourselves and to to be safe and prosperous um otherwise like you will get lost in the sauce with you know these identity crises and not knowing who you are and you know the self-hatred and all of that like along the way so I'm I'm so happy that you came onto the show today, Peter. I'm definitely going to share. I'll share uh, all of this information in the show notes, everyone. So don't worry. Okay. And I guess mm -hmm. the last question is, what what do you think is in the future um, for the Ledge Group with with everything that's going on? People are looking for you know ways to to do more than um, be angry and depressed at home and to also do more than, you know, voting and protesting. People are ready to take real action. What do you think? What do you think is next on the ground for you? I think what is most relevant is that we, we do not start with what I call truisms that we don't challenge and we don't define for ourselves. So as I mentioned, if somebody else controls your definition of wealth and they benefit from your inability to define wealth for yourself, you are in a losing proposition in perpetuity. So wealth, we generally define throughout the world as capital. But what capital does, and every single human on the planet Earth will use that capital to provide for themselves food, clothing, shelter, water, health care, and security. And we're on this hamster wheel. Jeff Bezos is going to spend every dime he ever gets on food, clothing, shelter, water, health care, and security. At what point do we take seriously the words of Marcus Garvey? At what point do we heed to the words of Malcolm X, one of the most prolific uh, celebrities that I can speak to in my generation was Muhammad Ali. He never minced words. That man said it completely and clearly. He was in an interview with David Frost and David Frost was pushing him and saying, wait, but what about integration? What about us being together? What about us solving the problem together? And, and uh, Muhammad Ali said very clearly, it's wonderful that you want to invite me to your table. And it's wonderful that you're going to, you know, hand me the serving dish and allow me to serve myself from your bowl. 
And it's fantastic that you've got dinner rolls there that you're going to pass that plate and allow me to take a dinner roll. But I want my own table. And that is the critical point. See, if we produce for ourselves and have within our walls mm -hmm. food, clothing, shelter, water, health care and security, what do you need money for? And that is the key. The key is removing ourselves from dependency. White people are, uh, you know, if you let them define themselves, they could be anything. But I will say that our biggest enemy and the enemy of any man anywhere of any color on this earth is dependency. Mm -hmm. See, if you do not control your own resources, then whoever it is that does control those resources can play the tune and you have to dance. Mm -hmm. So if they say there must be mandatory vaccines or you don't be or you can't work a job, what are you going to do? If they say your children must be vaccinated or they can't come to school and then social services is going to be alerted and they're going to come kidnap your children, what are you going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. So the only true answer is to produce it for ourselves. So the ledge group is going to expand. We move into every single country. Every time I sit down and speak with any leader, any king, anybody, they hear the model. They hear me say 50-50. The African and the diaspora will provide the capital resource. You provide the land, the workers. You provide those things necessary to put your dream into play. That dream that they have, the continental African, will always be their dream. We don't want to own their land. We don't want to own their resources. We need to deal in parity. So based on that model, based on parity, we can move through the continent and build ourselves up without any risk. So every single model that the ledge group starts up, starts up in the black. In Tanzania, we have fully built out, we're in the process of fully building out, 65 acres for a safari resort village. Mm -hmm. Well, every building, every structure is already owned by us. Every safari vehicle is already owned by us. We don't have to make a dime on it. However, we have built machines and those projects that again begin in the black and allow us to recognize an economic future where we can sustain ourselves in parity so the african and the diaspora is lifted and the continental african is lifted as well and the world never wanted that to happen mm -hmm. see because russia can't feed herself china can't feed herself the united states of america can't feed herself none of these colonial powers have the capacity to feed themselves if the african should stand up and close our borders then they will all come sniveling to our door and we'll open up the store and we can now do business mm -hmm. in parity mm -hmm. man people i have so many friends and just people that i know who walk around depressed and lost like in the United States, you know, because, because these stories are not known. They don't know there are 275 legends working with the ledge group and making real tangible change. Like I could build a house or have this house built for me after a little bit of an investment and I could get out of here if I wanted to. Right. Right. They well, don't know. The problem the problem has been this, and this is what Malcolm 
was trying to bridge. This is what Marcus was trying to bridge. There's been a concerted effort to keep us separated, Mm -hmm. right? And in that separation, we've not developed the level of trust between each other that we need. So if anybody were to tell you, you could send $3,000 into any country in Africa, and you could build a house, then they would. Uh, that would be impossible. You can't do it. If you don't know that person, if you don't, if, if, even if that person is in your family, the majority of the world will tell you if you send that $3,000 into Africa, then you just lost $3,000. Well, the Ledge Group has sent a half a million dollars into Africa, and we can account for every single penny. We developed a model where we deploy a proof of concept. This is not a charity, right? The Ledge Group is not a nonprofit. We are a for-profit business. You're going to work for what it is that you get. You're going to put your dream into effect. What we're going to do is we're going to finance it, right? And so we've produced a model where we can safely invest in our own and we can produce the future in the mode that we choose. Mm. And so I know that my brothers and sisters are discouraged because there is no answer. The the answers that are most prominently provided to us require us to take a subservient position. We should beg. We should pray. We should march. We should protest. We should vote. But none of these put control in our hands. And no matter what happens from those efforts, 20 generations from now, our children are still dependent upon another people for our essentials into the future. Marcus Garvey said, any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave you. So what we have to do is sacrifice. Brother John Henry Clark said, we shouldn't wear underwear until we produce that underwear. And so it requires old uh, values. We need to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We need to sacrifice. We need to struggle. Understand, freedom is a double-edged sword. It means you are free to live or die based on your efforts or lack thereof. So in order to get to that place called freedom, I promise you, we're going to fight, we're going to scrape, we're going to bleed, we're going to cry, we're going to die. But at the end of that road, we will be free forevermore. Yes. Yes. Don't worry, everyone. I'm definitely sharing Grand Rising in the show notes. You won't miss it. I'm doing my homework and checking it out too, but I'm already sewed. I've been sewed. I can't wait until you all are able to comment on the show. Let us know what you think. Uh, Stories like this is exactly why this podcast was created. Hopefully it'll help free, you know, other young and, and older minds as well. There are other ways of life than just living in perpetual moments of PTSD every day you wake up. You know, we were brought to this country for those of us that are listening in America um, against our will. But we have listeners of this show actually popping up in many different countries, and it's the same for them, too. So, Mr. Peter Brown, thank you so, so much for coming to the show today. I'm so, I'm so excited to get involved myself personally and uh, can't wait for this um, this message to be shared on multiple platforms. I appreciate you. It has been my absolute pleasure. And if anybody should like to find me again on YouTube, you can search theledgegroup.com and you'll see my mug on plantations all over the planet. Earth. <laughs> and furthermore, if there's a direct question, if somebody has something directly that they want to um, uh, pose to me, I encourage you, feel free 
email me. My my email is pbrown, that's p-brown, at theledgegroup.com. I promise I'll get back to you. All right. You heard it here, guys. Thank you so much for joining us at the More to Black podcast today. You all stay blessed. Wow, that was such a fun conversation with Peter. I really hope you enjoyed it as well. Let us know what you think in the comments on our social media pages at More to Black LLC on Instagram or Facebook. I'm super excited to send in my membership fee and join the Ledge group and get started myself. And I'm just really happy that we were able to hear stories of group economics being practiced all over the continent of Africa with people in the diaspora. It's something that's desperately needed. And I'm just happy that you all got to hear this story too. All right, have a blessed day and I'll catch you all the next time.